Good morning, cricket fans, and welcome to the Catch It podcast. Oh, what a catch! I'm Andrew Lush, and I started this podcast to have some interesting and insightful conversations about analytics and the stats behind the action, and to develop myself as a presenter. I hope you enjoy our discussions and debates. That is an absolutely outstanding catch. Okay, Jared Kimber, welcome to the Catch It podcast and this series of Analyst Chat. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm tired. (laughs) It was an early start to you with with the test match over in India, so it's been a long day so far. So thank you for making the time. That's fine. Yeah, no, it's all all good. So we're going to jump straight in. When you were growing up in Melbourne, why was it cricket? Who inspired you to to play the game, first of all? Uh, I didn't realise that people didn't play cricket. I came from a family where everyone played. And um, our, my mum my was the scorer and the vice president of the club and my auntie was the secretary. And um, actually, I might have got the positions wrong. But, you know, all my aunties <laughs> and my uncles all had positions within the cricket club. Everyone played all day Saturday. Um, it just didn't. I just didn't occur to me that it wasn't a sport that people played. Um, professionally, I suppose, like the first time I went to a, a big cricket game was a Shield game. Um, and I remember a couple of things. I remember Mike Whitney falling over when he came into bowl, which amused <laughs> me. But um, I remember Simon O'Donnell hooking a bunch of fours and sixes mm. and thinking that there was something pretty cool about it. But yeah, it just, I don't have a great origin story compared to other people because I was already there. Like it mm. just, it never occurred to me that uh, cricket wasn't a thing it was just kind of a natural pathway it was yeah. always going to be a part of your life and always yeah, going to be it's weird looking back because a lot of the kids i grew up with who were in that same sort of cricket club culture that i was in didn't feel the same way thinking about mm. it like going back a lot of them some of them played junior cricket and they disappeared some of them didn't even really play all that much junior cricket but i never even questioned it so obviously i liked it from a very early age mm. um and it was always part of it but yeah i don't I was at my first cricket game when I was a week and a half old. So, yeah. like, <laughs> uh, you know, asking me when I first fell in love with cricket, it was just, that was just what our family did. It, it didn't occur to me uh, for it not to be for a very long time. And when did you start thinking of it in a more analytical way? When did you want to kind of prod the bear in such a way in terms of test some of the theories that you were thinking of? And well, it, it said in um, Hitting Against the Spin, the two um, jur- the journalists that wrote that, they realized that they liked counting stuff. When did that kind of spark happen for you? I I went to a lot of shield cricket and mm. just no one goes to shield cricket. Like, you know, really small crowd, like in the MCG, you get 100 people uh, for a shield day sometimes. That's that's what happens. It's, it's a weird thing to be one of 100 people in, in a stadium and I've probably been one of far fewer in some of those games as well. Um, and I was, I was always sort of drawn to captaincy as a cricketer and I was always more interested in sort of, not, not cricket theory, but like there must be other ways to do it. Australian cricket was quite didactic. You, do, you, you win the toss, you bat first. And mm. I was like, I want to win the toss and bowl. And my old man would be like, why? And I said, well, if every other team wins the toss and bats first and we win the toss and always bowl first, doesn't that mean that almost every single game we will bowl first and we'll get mm. really good at bowling first? Mm. And it was like this empty sound of everyone like, no, 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 you win the toss and bat first. And I'm like, okay, so obviously, um, you know, so, so I did, I mean, in, in things like school cricket, we would do that. I'd drive the coach 
absolutely crazy. And he'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, no, you, you know, and, and I would do things like have fielders three quarters of the way to the, the fence and stuff like that. And, you know, I remember one coach just screaming from off the field, going, put him on the fence. And I went, no, this kid can't hit it to the fence, right? <laughs> like he will only, if he's going to try this shot, that is where it's going to go. He's just not big enough to hit the ball that far. And of course, four balls later, he hits it there. I look like a genius. I could have looked the opposite if he actually uh, got it off the middle. It might've got over the top. I don't know. But I always had those kinds of theories and, hmm. you know, uh, different ways of looking at it. But being at all those Shield games and, and watching professional cricket, I, I kind of felt that was something missing. There was a coach in those days. I don't even know if you had batting and bowling coaches in Shield cricket. But it hmm. felt like no one was really putting it all together and no one was watching everything. And, and cricket was really amateur in Australia. Hmm. And I remember one day having a chat with Trevor Holmes, who was the a chairman of selection. I was like, let's say 15 or 16 but there's no one in the ground dude right like when i say i had a, ch a chat with the chairman of selectors it was literally i was sitting there there was a guy seven rows in front of me and there was a guy two rows behind me and the guy two rows behind me asked a question and i answered it and i turned around and realized it was the national selector right you that's know, incredible yeah and and he it was a simple question where i can't i um i think the player's name was Corey richards and he asked me what I thought about Corey Richards. And I sort of half turned around and started telling him what I thought about Corey Richards because I think he made 100 that day. Um, and um, then as I turned around, I realized who I was talking to. And, <laughs> and, and then I, of course, went into full Victorian mode and started telling him how Matthew Elliott's 100 the day before was the best thing I'd ever seen. It's still one of the best 100s I've ever seen, actually. But, um, mm. And I remember at the time thinking, you know, kind of the fantasy side of your brain then goes, like maybe he thinks I'm really smart, whereas he probably, I remember what I was telling him was, I thought that Corey Richards was always driving too far from his body and that mm. he was a chance of nicking off. And Trevor Holmes might've thought that was nonsense, right? Um, and so he might've thought, stupid kid, shut up. He's just made a hundred at MCG <laughs> against good bowlers. Like, you know, give him some credit. Um, but, but the point being is that I remember from that day thinking it would be really cool if I could get into a position where I could use my ability to watch the game, which I think I watched the game differently than other people. I, w I knew that, that bit mm -hmm. I knew um, in that sort of stuff. But analyst wasn't a job then, right? It, mm. it, it, we're talking about 96, 97, it, you know, Australia, I don't think Cricket Australia have an analyst until about 2011, right? So mm -hmm. it wasn't a job, it wasn't a pathway. I didn't know how to get into it anyway. Um, I didn't really understand all that sort of stuff. Uh, and I wouldn't have been able to, you know, there was no numbers or anything for me to have looked up. There was nowhere to get the video or anything like that. All I knew is I watched a lot of cricket and I understood, I could see patterns in cricket that when I talked to even what I thought were great cricketers, you know, I'm talking club cricketers here, they didn't see the same patterns that I saw. And mm. I would say something casually and they would stop and look at me and, and I'd be like, but this is obvious, everyone knows this. And they'd be like, no, what are you talking about? So um, even, even back then, were you challenging perceived knowledge or like the, the um, example that you used with the boundary fielders. Yeah. If you're looking at a batter and they can't at a certain age hit that far, why would you have the perceived knowledge of the boundary protecting yeah. right on the rope? Cause they're never going to clear him. Yeah. So there was lots of little things like that and little theories that I had. And I, I remember we had a really good player who was, um, the, the, uh, so I went from club cricket to um, sub district in, in Victoria, which in Melbourne, which is a, 
a weird like it's kind of like a lancashire leagues type or a staffordshire mm-hmm. leagues type thing where you're just like why is everyone making money this is club cricket <laughs> um how have how are they getting in all these internationals and stuff I, I honestly think it's one of the reasons why uh melbourne cricket's not as good as sydney cricket because okay. a lot of people go and play for the money in sub district rather than playing district cricket and it dilutes the talent pool at the top level anyway that's a really boring thing but if <laughs> Uh, and I say that as a guy who loved subdistrict cricket and played it, but <laughs> our captain coach, um, he, I think he, it was his first year playing for us and he came over for the money as well. Uh, I won't <laughs> say his name now because he'll be really upset, but he had just broken a record in, I think it was in Lancashire leagues of Dean Jones, like scored a ridiculous amount of runs, most runs anyone had ever scored for that club or that, or, or in that area, whatever it was. And he played second 11 for Victoria very close to playing for South Australia as well. Like he was a first class, he would have played counter cricket in England mm-hmm. and probably would have had a seven to 10 year career. Mm-hmm. And I worked for him for a little while. He had a gardening company and I'd be sitting there saying these things to him and you could see his head going, Jared's not even good at cricket. Like how mm. is, and, and that was, I think that was the big <laughs> disconnect was these guys mm. were like, how does this guy think? And, and so in their mind, it didn't make sense that I was saying this because I couldn't do these things myself but I could see all these things that they couldn't see and they were mm. much better than me. And I think mm. some of it is just the ability to, I can see things consciously that really good cricketers see subconsciously. So sometimes mm. I'll be talking to a professional cricketer and I'll say something and they'll be like, no one's ever said that before, but I've always thought that. And, but I think in their mind, it's all so subconscious. Whereas it's a I feeling, all, it's a was, feeling rather they haven't yeah. mapped it out. And they mm. might not even have ever said it out loud, but subconsciously, the minute I, I, I've had these, me and Gareth Buddy spend so much time together. We have these late night conversations where it's just like, that makes perfect sense. Why hasn't anyone ever told me this before? And, mm. and, and, and I think that's what it was like with these cricketers. But the difference is that these cricketers knew that I wasn't a great cricketer, right? Like <laughs> most of them would have said that if I had any skill at all, it was probably as a fielder, right? And maybe, maybe as like a potential captain, because I did come up with these sorts of things. But even then, I don't think I was a natural captain in, in that kind of way. I was more more natural vice captain of the guy that yeah. goes up and goes, we should try this. And the captain's like, this, this, this needs to be said by someone else, but yes. <laughs> yeah. can you tell the rest of the group <laughs> what I'm thinking? So it was, I suppose in that way, it was always there. Um, yeah. Looking back, I, I remember we would, my, my dad would look at me really weirdly. We, he would drive me to cricket and he was the coach. Mm. And I was like writing notes on what I was going to do, like bowling changes, batting orders, fielding positions for different bowlers. And he'd be like, what? just captain, you don't need all this. But mm. he was, my, my dad was a very talented natural cricketer. Mm-hmm. Even now he's got no bones in his shoulders and I'm sure he could still bowl an outswinger, like even with an old ball, like he's just yeah. very natural. Whereas I overthought everything and complicated mm. everything, but obviously it works in, in this other thing. And yeah. then I sort of, I stopped playing cricket in around 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was working shift work and I got dropped to the fours because I'd gone from the seconds to the fours because I wasn't training and um, just was life was catching up with you. really. Yeah. And I, would, I was working shift work. So I would quite often work till 7am, sleep mm. for an hour and a half and then go and play a game and then go back to work that, uh, that night. And it just it was really, really hard. And and the club, the club, you know, Australian club cricket is really serious. It's not like English cricket. Mm-hmm. We just rock up on Saturday. And as long as you're there before the start of the game, it's fine. Like I got dropped from the thirds to the, so I'd have been dropped from the seconds to the thirds for not training. I got dropped from the thirds to the fourths because I'd been working till 9am. I'd gone to have a 10 minute nap, obviously slept in, got to yeah, the ground half I an hour late. Yeah. Oh, and, oh, okay. Yeah, no, just half an hour late to the game. Actually, I, <laughs> 
I may not have even missed the game. I may have just missed the warm-ups. Um, and I just got to a point in my life where it wasn't working. And then mm. I'd, be, I'd sort of started blogging and writing and everything uh, for a little mm. while. And I'd written some blogs and had some success, but I didn't really know what to write about. And I had a friend who's a basketball writer and he, um, uh, he played uh, basketball in, uh, on a scholarship in, in college in America. And he was sort of coming to a point where he didn't want to come back to Australia and play um, professional basketball. He really wanted to become a basketball writer. And he has gone on to be a basketball writer and worked for Basketball Reference and NBA and, and a few different places uh, as a writer. So he's, he's done very, very well. But he wanted to start a basketball blog. And he was sort of saying, can you just help me with blogging? I don't really understand. And I was like, oh, it's easy. This is what you do. This is how it works, you know, from a technical point of view, but also from a narrative point of view. I said, it has to be different to what mainstream is because there has mm-hmm. to be a reason they come to you. And I explained it. And, and we're at a footy game, Aussie Rules Football, and his team was flogging mine. So we just talked about this for like an hour and a half. Um, I think they were like 100 points up. Like there was no point watching this game anymore. And at the end, he just sort of said, I'd, why are you not running a cricket blog? Because he, he mm. knew that I had this passion. And, and I think by that stage, Crick Info was a fairly major thing. And I spent a lot of time on Stats Guru and, you know, looking up scorecards. And I'd always been the guy that would open the newspapers, even in winter, and look for the county scorecards, like you mm-hmm. know, overseas, yeah. overseas tests, counties, mm-hmm. uh, and all that sort of stuff. And, and I knew the narratives, even if I didn't know all the stats of, of yeah. all the different players. And, um, and he just sort of said it. And I was just like, yeah, I don't know. It never occurred <laughs> it's to me. One of those light bulb moments that you don't know when you're, why you're not doing something. Yeah. And I'd never- It could be something. I don't think even if you go back, I had written some stuff about cricket at school. Mm. Um, I remember I wrote, we had to write an instructional essay. I mean, this shows how, this shows how now, how silly it was that I never put two and two together. But I remember we had to write an instructional essay, maybe in year 10. So, mm-hmm. And my instructional essay was how to, um, <laughs> was how to use body line, but with only two fielders behind square. Okay. So I basically come up with a field that, that yeah. I thought could work for body line, but you, you had to be prepared for going at eight runs and over and all mm-hmm. that. Teacher was but like, you would take wickets in this. Yeah, in yeah. Your, essentially, in it, was, yeah. it was because we played on AstroTurf. So mm. if once the ball stopped swinging, if you didn't have a good spinner, like bounces were like 80% of yeah. the options, right? Um, everyone and you, have to, you have to bowl pretty accurately as a spinner. I played on. Um, so I lived in Southeast Asia for for two years and my parents still live out there and I played in a um in an immigrants league and oh my gosh I was an off spinner and if you yeah. didn't bowl in the right areas these Indian and Pakistani ingots would just absolutely take me over, over it's, and and the way it, boun- it sort of bounces up when you're a spinner it bounces up like a like a tape a tennis ball a little bit so yeah it can cross back you anywhere <laughs> horrendous so 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 I wrote that, that and I wrote a couple of other things. And even when I had my early blog, I think I wrote one or two pieces on cricket. I might, mm. I think I wrote something during the 2005 Ashes on one of the early blogs, but I, I can't even find the blog anymore, mm. um, even if that exists. But so he sort of says, you should start this blog. And this is 2007, so maybe July mm. of 2007. And, and I was like, that's pretty fair. I should do it. Mm. And I really wanted to replicate the conversations that my friends had because I thought that cricket conversation in Australia was stupid. Mm. It was really- They were one, one dimensional. Just really dumb. It was, Australia's great, everyone else is crap. This is the only way to play cricket. And it was like, it never made any sense. I remember mm. one of the things that uh, really pushed me that I thought I could add something was mm. Peter Roebuck, and obviously, you know, a controversial figure, but Peter Roebuck, um, 
point he was on radio, and I can't remember who the commentator was, but Adam Gilchrist was about a year into his test career. And the commentator mm -hmm. said, you'd have to say he's the best, you know, two or three batters in the world in test cricket. And Peter Robots was like, what? Brian Lara, Steve Waugh, Ricky Ponting, Sachin Tendulkar, Raul Dr and he just went through them, right? Mm -hmm. And But there was no thought, and, and Channel 9 was a big part of this, but even ABC would fall into it sometimes, and the newspaper writing was very similar. It was the overseas They'd say players, names and yeah, just Yeah, the overseas listen. players just yeah. didn't matter. Um, yeah. I, I remember, I can't remember what it was, but after I'd, written, after I'd started the blog, there was um, Ian Healy referred to Dale Steyn as the James Pattinson of South Africa. And I was just like, what the fuck are we talking about here, right? <laughs> bold claim. Yeah. And Pattinson was like four, hell. five tests into his career. Don't get me wrong. He had great figures. But mm. Stain was already Stain. It was quite clear that Stain yeah. was on the path to greatness. And Pattinson maybe would one day get to that path. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and and it was stuff like that that I was just like, and, and you know, I love Crash Craddock and, and some of the old writers, but they just didn't write about cricket. They wrote a lot yeah. about cricket news. And there was a mm -hmm. couple of guys like Darren Berry um, and a couple of the other um, cricketers uh, who had like smaller columns um, who would write like five or 600 words. And they'd be like, you get one of them a week where you learn anything mm -hmm. about, about the mm -hmm. game. And the way that my friends talked about it, and I remember, remember my friends aren't great cricketers either. I'd be the best cricketer out mm -hmm. of my, that friendship group. But the way that we talked about cricket was just so elevated over mm -hmm. what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And so when I started the blog, I was like, well, I'm just going to do what we do. Like, if we yeah. like it, maybe someone else will like it. And, you know, we were the sort of guys, we were in Chicago in, in, um, in 2003, you know, up at 3 a.m. having a discussion on what Adam Gilchrist's average would end up at, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the sort of group that we, we were in. And we, we were the same with football and basketball, to be fair, as well. Sound like, sound like great sports conversations. <laughs> I mean, they're Especially for a, a certain demographic of sports fan. I was going to say, they're either great or the worst. <laughs> I'd probably I'll tell you what, the people in the, uh, in the dorm of, uh, at, at 3 a.m. in Chicago didn't think they were as great uh, as you do. But, <laughs> but yeah, so we were, you know, and I wanted to replicate that. And at the same time, I was writing a book, uh, a novel. And so the novel character had this kind of very bloggy kind of voice because he, he was mm -hmm. kind of writing a blog that people were finding very much like all those sort of weird um youtubers that have become mm -hmm. famous like that is it paul anderson i want to say uh, jake paul logan paul no the other guys the, the more conspiracy kind of guys oh um, um i'm trying yeah. to think of an example you now. know the ones i'm talking about though the, yeah. the guys who all ended up on alex jones's shows over <laughs> yeah. the years right and 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 weirdly enough i kind of saw that trend happening so i was writing mm. a novel about one of those guys kind of before those guys existed because i could tell it was going to happen but yeah i used the voice of that character to write this blog more mm. from anything that i didn't i had that was such a strong voice at the time and it was easier mm. to do that than work out what voice i wanted to write the blog in and mm. combination so you took of, the kind of character yeah a bit contrary to anything cricket cricket style or anything that was classical cricket and wrote it in that style and you've got to remember that i'd always read about cricket and i'd read a few books but i wasn't <laughs> a huge book reader i was very voracious at reading newspapers but mostly murdoch newspapers right so you know very straight down the line match reports sort of stuff mm -hmm. as i said my family didn't get the broadsheet so i didn't always have access to that there weren't a lot of cricket magazines and even when they were they weren't as many as they were in the uk or anything like that you know one newspaper town two newspaper town that sort of that sort of thing so i didn't really know how you wrote about cricket and mm. what i did know is how to write movies 
right? Because Do you think I, that was a strength of your early days? You you wouldn't you weren't given a classical training or or kind of a stereotypical training of how it should be done. It's the only reason I'm here now, really, because it leads to everything. Mm. There was a point at which, and I, I, I maybe 2008, 2009-ish, where I was getting, you know, 50,000 people a day on my blog, right? Mm. That, it sounds like a made-up number, um, kind of, uh, you know, because of how big it was. But a lot of that was the combination of writing about global things. So again, if I knew what I was doing, I would have written about the Australian team, right? I didn't know what I was doing, so I wrote about all teams because I liked all teams, mm. right? Um, I wrote in this character's voice, which was, you know, anarchic, swearing, <laughs> nonsense. Like a lot of it is not, like there was everything. Like I, every it was it was conspiratorial. It was mm. um, it, it was anti-gay people, but it was anti-straight people as well. Like mm. it was anti-women, then it was anti-men. Like it was just throwing stuff at the wall because it was. Mm. I was writing in this character's voice. For me, it wasn't even a real thing, and it's only mm. about four or five months in where I'm like, where uh, the cricketer get in touch and just like, you could do this for a living. Do you realize yeah. that? And it hadn't mm. occurred to me. I, I thought I would blog. There, there was a couple of really good basketball blogs at the time who were mm. also making money. And, you know, I was kind of more based on that. I think um, yeah. the big one was called Free, Free Darko. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought, okay, well, I'll just write blogs. So it doesn't matter if I offend everyone in cricket. And I didn't know mm -hmm. I was offending everyone in cricket because I didn't know they were reading it, right? Like, I didn't know Giles Clark was reading my blog. Like, why would I know that? Like, I've never met Giles mm. Clark. When I started the blog, I didn't know who Giles Clark was, right? Mm. So none of that mattered. But that freedom of which I wrote uh, the stuff, I think eventually alerted people to the analysis, right? Mm. So... There were people that would come for the analysis. There were people that would come for the swearing. There were people that would come for the, you know, memes. Because, you know, mm. I was creating memes before there was cricket Twitter. Like, I, I didn't know yeah. any of this. I was just throwing stuff at the wall. Um, mm. We made early YouTube videos. Like, um, It's that creative freedom that it sounds like you were able to express. Exactly. And it would just, it would just sort of come out. And, mm. and it, it, from all that becomes the, you know, I think it was the Wisdom Cricketer at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know the, those magazines. I've worked for both of them, and even I'm confused which one started as which one. But between uh, the cricketer and the wisdom magazine, I think. Yeah, which was I'm not sure the wisdom cricketer <laughs> as well. At one, do you know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. it, it's very confusing that whole that whole thing and how things have moved around over there. But the wisdom mm -hmm. cricketer contacted me, a guy called Ed Craig, and he sort of said, "Look, I don't really understand why what you're doing completely, mm -hmm. but we think that you know a lot about cricket. We would like to give you some work, and if you come over to the UK, we think you." have a career and i was mm. like what really like it just it. <laughs> it, none of that had occurred to me yeah. um at all and i wasn't getting anywhere no one in australia contacted me mm. um it's only later i found out that there were some people if i stuck around i probably could have got some work eventually but mm. at that point i didn't know um and then you know you then get sort of dragged into a little mm. bit of blogging but a little bit of freelance and things start to move yeah. and, and then, things start to kind of build up and you start to get known yeah moving into you Moving into your analyst career, yep. how did coming out in terms of, I did laugh at both the franchise teams that you work for, both have stars in their names. Yes. But I never worked for worked, stars. Yeah, I've never worked for stars. I'm only, the original and funder are so far my. my you, uh, are you really an analyst if you haven't worked for a team called the stars? I don't know. Well, it's, it's something to talk about on another it's, day. It's on the, the bucket list, maybe. <laughs> that, that being said, the... Um, Oh, Southeast stars. I, re I respect the analyst down there quite a bit. So I wouldn't like to be taking his job anytime soon. 
and I can't see myself moving away from Manchester. But back, so you, how did you get the role with the St. Lucia Stars? So, so Samba Ball was one of those people that was reading Cricket with Balls that I didn't know. And Samba Ball's the head of Crick Info. He sort of pulls me into Crick Info and I was the second video employee they ever hired. So I wasn't even hired to write, although clearly looking back on it, Samba knew he wanted me to write. He just, mm -hmm. he didn't know how to fit what I did into Crick Info. Yeah. And the way that that fit in was that they hired me for video and I was at the grounds and I'm a writer. So I'm just like, can I just write? Like, it's silly for me. Like we were recording at the end of the day's play. So I'm there all day doing nothing. And I'm a, I'm a worker. I need to be moving. Right. And, and so I just started writing and, ah, oh, it must've been 2011. And by 2012, Sam was just like, okay, can we just call you the global writer and you just write about all the things? I'm like, yeah, we can. That's awesome. I'll, I'll do that. I don't think I even got paid that much more. Like it was literally mm -hmm. just, you're already doing this. So, and then, so they built that job around me, mm -hmm. right? Which meant that I wrote about all these different things. And we went to the 2016 World Cup and I reckon Freddie Wilde was the only T20 writer in the world at that point. And mm -hmm. Freddie Wilde, he was trying to be me. He was trying to be a, like a feature writer like I was and then got, and then went, went, if I just write about T20, I can get paid, which is a very mm. smart thing to do. Mm. And he, uh, that's how he got, kind of got sucked into it. And 2016, it was by that point, it was really obvious that T20 cricket was smart and T cricket, T20 cricket writing was dumb. Mm. And then no one knew anything about it. And like, you know, there was some, the older writers wouldn't touch it, right? Mm. And when they did, they wrote like, really condescending pieces there was still like everyone was still going on about the cheerleaders and the ipl this was even and... happening in 2016 yeah yeah wow. and there was if you go back then outside of freddie mm. i don't think you'll find many people writing about it from an analytical point of view from a mm -hmm. i don't think well cricket phone cricket bar certainly didn't have t20 writers they're the mm. two that's like 80 percent of your world cricket market bbc mm. didn't have anyone right like the guardian didn't have like no one was running about that format of the game and even if they were they were generally test writers they didn't mm. want to be writing about it and they didn't know how to write about it because they didn't understand the sport right no. and yet at that stage we you know the um money ball stuff was being talked about in cricket a lot and you had the roger Stunroyers that already won Northamptonshire might have been that might North have been had, had done a really good run in the 2016 and I think it was 2015. There you so go. Gone, and they were using, for example, Josh Cobb, who had an incredible boundary percentage, brought him in from Leicestershire. Good, they got all the was... big fat guys. They, don't, don't <laughs> they got all the big, big fat guys yes. to hit boundaries. It was brilliant, right? Richard but, Levy as well, a South yeah, African great. <laughs> exactly. And I think that was around the period that there was a team in the in the in the um in the blast who didn't use a wicketkeeper in one game but i don't think it was no offense i think Ooh, it was a team i, don't, against I don't know. i'll have to look that up yeah i've written about it before somewhere but it was one of the early things but these things were happening and i was hearing about them but my mm. job was test writer right so i did world cups and i did tests and i basically did india england and australia mm -hmm. and it was a great career and i could have done it i could still be doing it now if i wanted mm. to right the cricket vote weren't going to get rid of me i was getting tons of reads and everything was fine. The problem was I got bored out of my mind because mm. I need to keep trying different things. And I, and I, you know, I was a little bit stifled at ESPN. Uh, not, they gave me more creative freedom than anyone's ever had, but it was stifling. Mm. I was still so creative that there's no amount of creative freedom they could have given me, right? Mm. And so 2016, we go to the World Cup. Uh, I My first column is basically everything that you see written about T20 cricket is stupid. No one knows anything about this sport. We shouldn't be writing about it. This is horrendous. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, a few T20 coaches reached out and said, finally, <laughs> someone's saying this. <laughs> um, and Sam, sort of said to me, 
well, okay, then why don't you teach us all how to write about T20 cricket? And I went, but I don't know what I'm doing either. I, I just, as a reader, I'm telling you guys, this is crap. And he said, well, okay, well, instead of you covering, I think it was the Australian summer. I think Australia mm-hmm. was playing Pakistan, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. He said, you could go and just do Australia-Pakistan or you could go and cover the Big Bash. What do you want to do? I said, okay, I'll cover the Big Bash. And I'll pop, I still popped into a couple of the tests, I, I, mm-hmm. but the whole, the whole idea, and, he's, and I said, okay, but I need complete freedom because I don't know what this is. And so until it's finished, the, until the Big Bash is finished, I don't think I will understand how to write about this, this sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went there, first piece I wrote, he absolutely hated it, almost canceled the whole thing. Uh, Cause I wrote a whole piece about how, I think Moses Enriquez was man of the match, but had been dropped three times. And I mm-hmm. said, you have to factor in luck into a sport like this. And mm-hmm. we in, in, in test cricket don't even understand how to do this. And in T20 cricket, we don't know what we're doing. We're saying Moses Enriquez is the best player, but actually all these other things happened in this game that were, yeah. And, he, and that's not how old school journalism was. Old, old school mm. journalism is voice of God. And I did the complete opposite. I went, I mm-hmm. don't know what I'm doing and we don't know what we're doing and we need to work this out. And I didn't know that many people in T20 cricket, but Trent Woodhill mm. is someone who'd followed me and contacted me before. Obviously he was the Melbourne Stars assistant coach and general manager, I think at that stage. Mm-hmm. I, so I called him up um, when I was in Melbourne. I said, mate, just explain to me what you know, because he's a big baseball fan. So mm-hmm. he took me through all these different baseball people who he loved. I think Keith Law was one of them, but there was a bunch of them in, the, in this list. And he was taking me through baseball concepts and everything else. So I remember the first, I think it was the first game I, I flew. So I went from Sydney to Melbourne and on the way to the Melbourne game, I read Moneyball. I'd never even mm-hmm. read it before. <laughs> and I read it and I was like, okay, this is starting to make more sense to me now. And I see how this could work for cricket. Then I read another baseball book, which I've forgotten now. Um, and I was like, okay, this is great. My peak problem here is I know- Is it MVP machine? No, was that well later? before MVP before machine. That. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was, it was another, it was, an, it was one of the sort of spin-off Moneyball books that was okay. a bit more techie. Cause that's what I needed. Moneyball oh, okay. was great, but after reading but Moneyball- it's a story, like, it's a narrative. Yeah, really, like this isn't it. really helping me at all. I was actually mm. shocked so many people in cricket were like, I learned from Moneyball. And I was like, what did you learn? Cause- yeah. I, I, <laughs> It's a great I, story, but it just yeah. it's not an informational guide. And I did realize later that most people who said they learned from Moneyball had only watched the movie and not even read the book, but that's a whole oh. different story. <laughs> so so that, uh, I mean, you know, uh, they understood how handsome- It's a great inspiration. Brad Pitt was. Then yeah. go out and do your own learning. So I read that book. I read, I think I might, there might've been an early football one, um, so- soccer metrics or soccer Oh yeah, soccer nomics, I think yeah. I've, yeah. Something like that. So I might've read that, but again, I don't know that much about football. I don't know that much about mm. baseball. I knew enough to follow the book, but I was like, I do know about basketball. Like, you know, mm. I was a basketball coach and I played basketball my whole life and, you know, followed the NBA right up until moving to England and it's mm. it, 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 a little bit less so just because of the time zones. But I was like, but anything that's explained in basketball, I reckon I'll be able to work out, mm. right? And um, I think there was a, a book by um, a guy called Stephen Shea. Mm-hmm. Um, I've forgotten the name of that book. And then there was another book by a guy uh, called Ben Taylor called Thinking Basketball. Mm-hmm. And I got those two and I was just like, oh, and it was like, it, it was like, I, instead of seeing it in code, I saw it in vision. Oh, well, the another kind of yeah, light It was like the Matrix moment, yeah. where I suddenly saw everything in code. Yeah. And I went, ah, oh. and I came up with true economy rate within a couple of days of learning all that, which is now used right across cricket. And I don't so want to wait, say it was like a moment So no one of else was using true economy or true strike rate? No. All the, both of those came out of that first three days. 
It's that, no it's that random, dude. That's and I'm incredible. not saying people weren't using it in the background because I'm sure some yeah. teams had stuff, but no one had ever used that phrase. Certainly, like I invented the phrase, but I think I invented that. Nathan Lehman, yeah. I'm sure, had a version and other people had versions that were out there. But I, I know that Crickviz use it now and I'm pretty sure they got mm. it from me unless... unless because one of your articles on Crickviz, not Crickviz, um, on um, ESPN Crick Info is the language of T20. And you reference, I, I didn't, I thought that was just you referencing it from, I didn't realize that you thought for it through and would be one of the people to actually implement it. I think most of the things in that piece were me inventing it. And that was within about two weeks of learning all this stuff. It's incredible. It came to me very quickly. I was always good at math. And hmm. obviously I understood cricket stats and I understood cricket. The, the thing that stands me apart from most analysts is that I know how cricketers talk and think, and I know how mm. maths works. The thing I can't do that some of them can do is the coding and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But I can tell you mm. if an algorithm is wrong, because I, 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 you know the way I, I have to work through it my own way, but I can work mm. out if something's wrong. But I can't do, that's the one thing I can't do. But a lot of teams want to be involved because a lot of analysts, when I first started, would sit in the corner and never say anything. Whereas I was it's like, a hard no. thing because yeah. a lot of, are very very knowledgeable about maths and data but it's i i talk when i'm talking to people who ask me any advice i mean i've been in, in the game for four years so i i always say i can only answer a bit but working out how you can communicate and break that division mm. is so key no exactly and i think you know so i that was that was part of it and and i had that relationship with trent woodhill as i said he mm -hmm. might have even written about him in a quick info piece uh, in mm -hmm. that 10, 10 article period that we're talking about of that first big bash but i wrote a lot <laughs> this is really random it just shows you how much luck plays a part in all this but i looked at the schedules and i realized that if i followed the scorches or the heat or the hurricane i would be dead right so i didn't even go to perth on that first trip um at how all come because of the five hour flights Oh, just your personal schedule would be absolutely ruined. The only people yeah. who'd ever done the Big Bash schedule were the Cricket Australia people and the Channel 10 people who were recording. I mean, me and Mark Waugh must have been on the same flight like 10 days in a row, right? Mm. And you, Laurie Colliver and Damien Fleming and all those sorts of guys. Um, and so I, I just went Melbourne, Sydney, Melbourne, Sydney, because there's two teams in Melbourne and Sydney and everyone had to come through. And I, mm. I think I went to Hobart because they had two games in a row and I went to Adelaide because they had two games in a row. But it meant that with and i didn't look at who, who all the teams were right mm. <laughs> i just looked at the cities and went okay i can do this and not die turned out i almost mm. died anyway yeah. too much fun. <laughs> but when i did it, it turned out i had like six stars games melbourne stars games right mm. so i'm writing really in-depth stuff about the melbourne stars and um damien Fleming, uh, damien fleming St well D damien fleming was reading as well he was on the board but stephen fleming and trent woodhill are reading all this stuff going Geez, this would be handy if we knew this. Like, what? was Stephen Fleming um, in charge or connected with the Chennai Super Kings at this point? Yeah, or was he? He was at his well as well, yeah. and he yeah, was yeah, well out. entrenched with them. So this is mm -hmm. 2016, 17, I think. Mm -hmm. And they yeah. basically said, in fact, it got even. I think it got even more dramatic. I think Trent had already said to me, "We want to hire you for next year, but we don't know how it will work." And mm -hmm. then they had a board meeting because they came last. Right. Mm. And I, so my pieces, they were analytical, but they were scathing as well, right? Mm. Going into detail yeah. why Melbourne Stars were losing. And, and it was a really fun franchise watching it just sort of go into the toilet, right? Mm. Like from my point of view, I was learning about analytics, but also being able to follow one team really helped. Mm. Them. This is why, you know, this isn't working. 
and they had a board meeting, mate, which is just hilarious, where Trent and, and, and Flem are sitting next to each other. And this old guy gets up and he's got all these printed papers and he's reading all this stuff to them. And, have, and Trent and Flem are looking at each other going, is he just reading Jared's article? <laughs> and eventually, they, I think someone must have asked him. And he said, yes, this is some random guy. Why does he know more about our team than we do? <laughs> and they said, well, Incredible. we had asked for an analyst and you guys said we didn't need one. This is the guy we would like to hire. And I got, I got greenlit then. I didn't even know I was going to get offered the job. So I actually got offered the Melbourne Stars job right after that Before season. Before you yeah. got St. Lucius. Okay. But, but in the meantime, um, hmm. uh, this, you know, St. Lucius, the CPL season was before that. So I already knew I had the Melbourne Stars job. And I was trying to work out as a journalist how it was going to work. That Could I just take three months off? Or you know, how Crick Info was going to accept it? And all these sorts of things. And then while that was happening... Um, a guy called Muhammad Khan, who had been the general manager of the Tallawallers when they had won, mm-hmm. got the job of St. Lucia. I think me and him had already been chatting and, and, and talking about stuff. And I went to the CPL draft. It was in London. I don't know mm-hmm. why it was in London, but it was in London. And he, he, you know, he understood that I could help him a lot. So mm-hmm. he offered me the job of assistant general manager and analyst, I think. And then he quit midway through the CPL. So I went from analyst to general manager of a franchise within <laughs> three or four weeks of starting my first ever job in professional cricket. What was that like in terms of what was your headspace in like then? It was already pretty weird because I, I didn't really know what analyst was. And remember, my title was assistant general manager. That stuff mm. I kind of knew a little bit more and was probably, I thought, more suited to it, certainly at that point. And I didn't know what I was going to be doing. I just felt, I thought occasionally the captain or the coach might come over and ask me my advice on some stuff. And then we got to St. Lucia and the first day Roddy Eskwick came up and said, are you okay to run the uh, bowling meeting tomorrow? I went, you what now? Wow. And it's Mitch McLennigan, Darren Sammy, Kyron Pollard, Mohamed mm. Sammy. You had a stacked team. Yeah, I can't remember who, uh, uh, KS Ahmed. So there mm. was a, it was a really good, uh, you know, it was a really good, but I had no idea what to do. I didn't know mm. where to stand. I didn't know what to show them. I didn't have any video because they didn't have any video to, to, to give me. Um, Did you have, you obviously had the access to Crick Info's data. I had Crick Info. I had okay. a little bit of ball by ball stuff, but nothing compared to what I have now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because True. I all my stuff had been around really um, trying to come up with new metrics which mm-hmm. I couldn't code. So I would come up with a metric and not be able to use it. Right? <laughs> and then on top of that was, um, was uh, a lot of my stuff was, uh, you know, value for drafts, right? Mm. I hadn't done anything about bowling plans because I wasn't mm. an analyst. Because you'd looked at pulling together a T20 team. Which is very you different. Looked at you how, we were gonna, how you were going to tell bowlers. In your position, like, you do both, right? Mm. But that wasn't, as a journalist, it wouldn't make sense to be like, mm. and in the next game, Mitchell McLennigan should bowl this line. To the, it's just not what you do. As a, as, even if you're an analyst as a journalist, you're not that kind of analyst, right? Because you Sometimes, never have to write from that point. You always no. have to be a neutral. In well, a yeah, not, certainly not yeah. back then. It's a bit different mm. now that people like me have come through and there's a few of us who might be like, oh, they should bowl like this to a certain player. Or there mm. might be a great player you might do it about occasionally. But on a general mm. rule, like, I don't, I don't know where you, you know... <laughs> where you bowled at Darren Bravo. Like it's never occurred mm. to me to worry about those sorts of things, let alone work out how to present it to the, this team. So, and then you got to remember there's, there's the baggage that I bring, mm. you know? So David Warner made it very clear that he knew who I was on day one, came and had breakfast with me, but also it was clear that he had read a lot of my stuff, 
you know, we've got friends in common. So, and I've mm. interviewed him a couple of times. It wasn't the end of the world, but he made it clear. Corin Pollard leaned in and said, I've read everything you've ever written. And I said, you haven't because I've read, a sh I've written so much, mate. But thank you. Do you think that was a barrier to you? I or do you think what, it helped? I didn't know what it was. It, it, I can tell you without naming names, there were certain players. It was a yeah. complete barrier and ruined the relationship and it was never going to get fixed. Yeah. There were other players who at least respected that I was going to say what I was going to say. Right. Mm. There was going to be no, no sugar coat. And when they came to me, I was, you know, I was like, I'm probably more brutal in person than I am even on the written word. So mm. like, if, you know, I, there was a, there was a, a big problem at one stage with something and I was really clear. No, this is mm. what I believe. And it went against the, the room, but it was like, well, that's fine. You but then at least like, as a, yeah. as an analyst, you can say, I mean, I've just given you the data. This is what my interpretation of it. And I'm going to say it. I mean, you yeah. can sleep. You can sleep well at night because people might disagree with you, but you've said your. I mean, you've said your piece. They have to go out and interpret on the field. Exactly. I mean, mm. I didn't. I didn't worry about it. You got to remember as well. I didn't really think this was going to be a career for me. Okay. So yeah. I thought, if anything, I was doing it to see if to learn more about the game because I really mm. wanted to learn more about the game. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to see how the other side worked. Mm. Um, and on top of that, I thought, worst case scenario, I'll be able to write a pretty funny book, mm. right? <laughs> and I could have. And, and you talk yeah. about the, the MVP machine. It wasn't the MVP machine at that stage. It was, there was another book that Ben Miller, or is it Ben Lindbergh? That Ben Lindbergh had written Lindberg, yeah. um, uh, called The Only Thing Is It Has To Work, which mm -hmm. is about two baseball nerf, uh, nerds taking over a minor league, a really minor league, a, like extreme, like a, basically a club baseball team, but yeah. professionals. Um, and I read that on the way over. And I contacted them and, uh, you know, I've remained in touch with both of them ever since. But they, it, it, that really helped me to understand what could go wrong. And there's just, you know what it's like. These teams are weird, bully, clique, different things. I'm, you know. A dressing room is hard to, ma well, it's, you've got a, a dressing room in, in professional sport. There's a load of different pressures, yeah. a load of different big personalities. You're wearing the wrong part of the travel kit. And you don't know because no one's ever told you that you need to wear that you didn't even know that was the travel kit you just mm. got given a bunch of clothes you know just little things <laughs> like that like yeah you know i think the first day on the bus i sat on roddy eswick's seat and look me and roddy get along great but you mm. know roddy's a big massive dude <laughs> and he's like get out of my chair and i was like what have i done and i didn't know it didn't mean anything like i, I didn't know that west indians had seats on buses and other teams don't care about that as much right mm. like it, it's all that sort of stuff so you know and then I, I think I'm managing some of the relationships really well. Like me and Karen Pollard were getting on really well at this point. And, you know, uh, you know uh, some of the other players and, uh, you know, someone like Kevin Hodge, I'm still very close yeah. with to this day, made some runs for the West Indies in the Test match today. Um, you know, but there are other relationships that are really tough. But then in the middle of all that, they at least think, well, he's only the analyst. Mm. And then suddenly I'm the general manager right and that just really a whole nother level of decision making and with some players they went from not really respecting me to listening to everything and then others who were like what the hell we're not uh, this guy can't be the general manager mm. which i don't know if i disagree with because a week and a half earlier <laughs> i didn't know anything right but but i so i get their their belief as well so yeah so i got those two jobs um i did a lot of consulting for teams mm. as well um and coaches and players uh, yeah, you know when they wanted stuff, and then the Scotland job came up. I was actually mm. that was through Edinburgh Rocks. I was supposed to be yeah. in the European League, and ended up in Scotland. Um, you know, I still do stuff. 
I, mm. you know the Australian team reached out to me during the World Cup you know things like that happen occasionally yeah you know, a lot of my friends are major analysts right mm. you know um and so something you know what it's like who do you contact when stuff's going wrong you contact another analyst and go are yeah. you following this can you just help me and um I think I think the last couple of World Cups now teams and coaches sometimes as well mm. some some of the coaches I work with are still coaching international teams or franchise teams and you know they'll reach out um so is it nice that you've experienced that but now you're able to experience it in a less direct form. It was funny when when I <laughs> some, when someone contacted me recently, um, they were like, "I'm really sorry, we can't pay you obviously because you know it's midway through the season and blah blah blah." And I, and I was like, "No, no, no, it's fine." And I said, "It doesn't bother me. I like stretching these muscles, knowing that if you guys do all this and it doesn't work, no one's going to blame me, and I'll <laughs> never mention that I told you any of this stuff." Right? It's not true because yeah. I would make a running joke of how bad I screwed up a franchise, but. <laughs> It would so, be next on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it would be the next podcast. But, um, you know, so I still enjoy that. I still want to do mm. the job properly one day. Mm. Um, I, I recently helped with the Major League Cricket as well, and I, mm. I would be hoping to help them with their sort of implement their draft knowledge around their teams and things like that. Mm. And I, I might do stuff like that for other things. But I do want to run a team. I do mm. want to be the general manager of... Is that still an inspiration for you? Yeah, in I don't really... I'm not desperate to be an analyst again. I, I still get calls and offers and, and things like that. Um, it just hasn't worked. It's not so much yeah. that I've said no. I mean, up until COVID, I, that was what I was doing. It was just that mm. after COVID, those jobs were the first ones to go in the mm. franchise leagues. Mm-hmm. And now that they've started coming back, um, mm. I probably also cost too much um, and, yeah. and are too opinionated. So you need... A and you have a, not a lot of other responsibilities right around your like your podcast network yeah around your writing so fitting in a whole for example going down and like for, for example like i do i know a lot of these processes in the next couple of years will be automated but live coding yeah it's yeah, not exactly sort of how you want to be spending your time exactly and yeah. and i'm still my system's pretty much set up that i could probably do it tomorrow if i had mm. to right but um it's not you know, I now have five or six people who work for me, right? And, you mm. know, I'm, I'm taking up a new position with a new cricket website, you know, at the moment. And, you know, all these different things. All these people, inclu- you know, I would just get my other people to run my stuff while I'm away. It's possible, mm. but it would need to be the right job. And to be honest, I don't want to go... A, a position like yours is different. And I was offered... Mm. I've been offered a couple of county jobs. I could have taken them. It just... It didn't feel right at the time for various mm. different reasons. But I what I really wanted to do is to do it once properly and mm. counter cricket also isn't properly. Like I want to do it once where I'm involved with a proper budget where mm. I can sit down and, and you know, we, I, I had organized, uh, and I've done this for St. Lucia, but I also did this for a BPL team and, mm. and maybe even the Melbourne stars as well. Mm-hmm. Proper scouting networks. Um, mm. when a scout goes to watch a cricketer, what we need to be have to be marked down, right? Like, all the way up from all the stuff I've learned from, you know, basketball and baseball and football and Aussie rules football, you know, of how to be more professional. Mm. And in fact, I was off, one of the jobs I was offered with, with Bangalore. So I never was paid by Bangalore, but I did mm-hmm. do some work with them, but I was with Crick Info at the time. So I was like, I can't actually accept work, work for you guys act. at the moment. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit of a but, conflict of interest. But I did, I did do stuff for them, partly because I wanted to know what they were thinking so I could more understand how mm. things went into a draft. But they were going to offer me the job as a forward scout, which, mm-hmm. I, again, I would have really, really liked where you go ahead of the team and you go and watch all of the opposition and then, you know, and then you pass the knowledge on, which, mm. again, 
most professional sports have and we mm. don't have in cricket so we have a very it, different system and it's, it was, it's developing yeah. though no, no, so, it's getting there. It's getting there. Yeah. So all that sort of stuff is the sort of stuff that I wanted to do. I would want to do with a franchise, and it mm. doesn't necessarily mean I have to be the general manager or anything. But head, you know, a proper head of analytics with a, a team of three or four people and and a scouting, um, you know, department and budgets and things like that is how so I a, um, a Billy, not a Billy King, <laughs> a um, oh, why have I just forget? Oh, the guy from Moneyball, uh, Billy. Well, no, he's a general manager, isn't he? So yeah, that, I mean, Billy I Bean. think that was yeah, the job. Yeah, Billy Bean. Yeah. I Billy think that's Bean. the job I'm probably best <laughs> suited to because I have so many skills across so many mm. things. And I actually really like the business side of running St. Lucia, of trying to work out how we turn the social media around and talking mm. to sponsors. And, you know, I was meeting with the St. Lucia government about, you know, how we do stuff. I had a St. Lucia TV sh um, channel who was going to make a uh, behind the scenes um, documentary yeah. to find our next. So the 15th person on our squad was going to be the winner of the competition. Uh, that's class. On, you know, all that sort of stuff. I all had that, that all ready to go. Up. But unfortunately, the ownership group was yeah. uh, fraudulent and was about to get kicked out. So they kicked me out first, which is fine. I kind of knew that would happen. But that's the kind of stuff I want to do. Mm. The analyst stuff that you do is absolutely great. But I've done it. Mm. And, and I... You want to see if you can do the next level. Yeah, but also I think my skills are... Pro I'd rather hire people like you to do all that sort of stuff. Mm. I can come up with the bigger picture stuff mm. of what we do. In, go To take this full circle to back when I was a kid. That sort of stuff again of that ability to see things differently. And because mm. I am a creative person at, you know, my, my main skills are creative rather than almost anything else. I'm any challenge I'm going to come at from a very different angle than everyone else and try and build things backwards and sideways. Mm. Um, and then I can hire analysts like you and other people to come and do the analyst jobs while I can take it in a new direction. What, what's the, what's the next thing we should be having a look at? How can we, mm. how can we do this better? How can we work better with coaches and, you know, little things that, the, having the, a five-year plan rather than wanting to win our franchise tournament now exactly you know mm. how, how do we how do we do, and, and and you know even saying to owners your job is not to win your job is to make the finals because mm. if you make the finals you'll probably ask a, a title anyway right mm. um you know just little things like that and and to work through all those problems that's kind of what i would like to do um mm. and if you look at you know since leaving crick info i have a podcast i have a video i have an emailer I have a sports writing course. I do commentary. I do analysis. Um, I do consultancy. I'm not a person that does one, one thing. kind of job well. So being an analyst for St. Lucia in Melbourne and Scotland was great, but mm. those were two or three months jobs, mm -hmm. right? If I had to do your job for 12 months, I'd, my mind would just wander. It's not that it's not mm. even a, a case of, of anything else. It's just not how I'm built. Whereas yeah. if you're head of analytics or you're a general manager, you, your job is just so varied all the time mm. and you're putting out fires and you're trying to find mm. things and, and everything else that I, I just think that probably suits me better. That said, I've got so many friends now who've becoming coaches that I knew as players and, mm. you know, I probably will get a call again to do something mm. else. And, you know, I, I had, there was one county that were, were talking to me and I said, and they were talking about being an analyst. And I said, look, it's a waste of time. You can find a good analyst, right? Mm. Let's do, these are the things that I think I can do. I want to do a ground up system so that mm. you know if there's a 12 year old kid in your area who can play reverse sweeps. Mm. That's the information I want to know. Who's advanced, who's not advanced? Who can mm. hit sixes, who can't hit sixes? Who are the kids we should be developing? Who are the kids we shouldn't be developing? Uh, you've got a 16 year old in one of your academies. What deliveries does he bowl? Does, mm. anyone, have, does anyone have a, that sort of stuff is taking everything to the next level. 
and mm. that's that actually really fascinates me and to be you know someone who could do that that is more interesting and i don't this is and you you would know this um, mm. there are a lot of analysts who like doing it because they get to hang around with players right which is mm. fine there's a lot of people in cricket media is exactly the same I spent 15 years with players. I don't need to hang out with players anymore, right? I've just been sitting next to Darren Goff for friggin' mm. eight hours today, nine hours today. My whole life is hanging around with players. I want to see, I really want to be involved in something from the ground level up. I would love to, you know, help someone like Scotland or Wales or Ireland mm. or a county system of how do we turn this into a mini Iceland type situation, mm. right? How, how do, do we, we develop get, and actually beat the big guns in a How does way? that happen? And, and, mm. and, you know, happily work for, if Surrey came to me as well, like I'd have that conversation with them as well. But that mm. is the thing that I am more interested in of step-by-step step of how we make sure that everyone is working in the same direction so mm. that, that mm. talent isn't overlooked and that we that weird cricketers fit in and everything else. Because at heart, I'm a giant weirdo and I don't <laughs> want people, I don't want, there's no reason why Benny Howell hasn't played for England, right? There are just certain situations that, that don't need to happen, right? Mm. But you need systems in place that actually... To recognize yeah, and create that. You know, and if you go back, England, and you know, Nathan Lehman and, and all those guys, Mo Babat and, and now Freddie and all those guys, I respect a lot of them. But the fact is that at one stage, they didn't pick Benny Howe because they said that his top speed and his lowest speed weren't that far apart, so he couldn't have been doing anything special while he was averaging about 15 runs per wicket. Like at a certain point, even the best talent development systems in the world are missing people. And I want to put in place so that that as much as possible doesn't happen. And, mm. and I think that's the thing that is really interesting for me from the very top level all the way down. And how do you coach people how to be better in the nets? How do you coach people for a T20 game compared to a, a, a test match? All these things that haven't really been fully explored. Um, you know, and, and I think that is where... I think that's a really important future. And mm. to be honest, it goes back to the, again, to the start where when I wanted to be an analyst and there was no such thing as an analyst. And now I want this position. There's no really such thing. Well, I don't even know what I'm talking about here. But these, these positions don't exist yet. But that is where our sport has to go. As you mm. said before, it's getting better, but it needs to keep taking steps. You know, every mm. under 19 player in the world, there should be an open database where mm. anyone can go and have a look and go, okay, he bowls back of the hand slower ball, but he doesn't have a wobble ball. Should we, should, can we teach him a wobble ball? Has he tried a wobble ball? Like, did mm. he try it once and it didn't work? Like, you know, have we got a wobble ball expert, right? Mm. Like, how do you train upskill people? And so, and, and, and how does it come more scientific in yeah, that way? Yeah, repeatable mm. is that's yeah. always my big thing. You know, when I start, when I help people with podcasting or even in the old days when I used to help people with blogs, I would always say, how is this repeatable? Because mm. you are going to have to go back to this blog two or three times a week for the next two years to be successful. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have an idea or a passion that is repeatable, you won't go back. Most podcasts mm. fail because after a month, it's like, oh, this is just hard work. I can't even, mm. think, I can't even think of the idea. And it's just like, no, no, no. Then come up with an idea that's not hard work, mm. right? Make it repeatable, right? Then work out how to upskill your your skills in other mm -hmm. ways and everything else. Anyway, mate, I, I better I better go. Yes. I probably, well, you probably asked you two questions, and I've <laughs> given you <laughs> no no worries, no worries. We'll have to catch up again at some point. But thank you very much, Jared, for coming on coming on the Catch It podcast. I hope you best of luck in the and best luck to for the for your future. And hopefully one day we'll see you in a management position or a head of scouting at some major franchise or moaning about it on a podcast <laughs> well thank you very much jared cheers